Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, the most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Steve Druggan. Steve is head of school at Springside Chestnut Hill Academy. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Uh, Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me. First of all, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about what you do currently and what you're going to be doing soon? Sure. Uh, I have this great pleasure of being the head of school 
at an independent school in the city of Philadelphia, um, you know, early childhood through grade 12. So through the end of high school, about 1200 kids a day come to school here. Um, so I get to just have the great job, greatest job in the world, helping a great kids learn. And I'll be leaving here in June after six years and headed to the American School of Dubai, where I'll be superintendent of one of the largest and the oldest schools in the Emirates and in Dubai. Yeah, that's, uh, it sounds like an amazing school that you're leading at the moment and also a, a really exciting opportunity um, coming up that you'll be that you'll be starting later this year. I love, and I know our listeners love hearing people's stories. As you think back to childhood, you know, growing up, if we start there, are there any moments, was there anything about your sort of childhood that really shaped you to become the leader you are today? Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, um, I grew up in a very small town and think um, 700 people, two main streets. And I went to a school, kindergarten through 12th. I graduated with 16 classmates. Um, and we were together basically from kindergarten through 12th grade. And my sister was a year older than me. And she was the perfect student in a very small town in a very small school. So I was determined that I would never be as perfect as her. So I was the opposite. So I really tried the patience of everyone in that school. And parallel to that, I got a job in the local hardware store at about age 14. And for the next eight years, I worked every weekend and all summers in this hardware store. And I really credit that experience because in a hardware store in a small town, you really listen to learn. You really listen to the importance of the, excuse me, you learn the importance of listening because everybody that comes in there usually has a problem. Their hot water tank is out, you know, they're, they need oil for their car, but they don't know which oil or which filter. So you really learn to listen and figure out how to serve the people coming into your hardware store. And so I think coming from a very small town and learning to listen has really shaped me as I worked around the world in Milan and Munich and Jakarta and then back to Philly and then now to Dubai, when you come from a small town, you're always an outsider if you leave the small town. So <laughs> that's been helpful. And then really learning the power of listening through the hardware store. Yeah, that's, uh, that's they're wonderful stories and, and wonderful thoughts from your childhood. So as you stepped out from there, do you remember that first opportunity you had where you realized you were leading or you, you could be a leader, uh, you know, it could have been when you were younger, it could have been a bit older, where you were suddenly leading a, a group of people or heading up a project or had to create vision for something. Do you remember that sort of first leadership opportunity? Well, most of the things I led in school, we can't discuss because um, no one should know about them because I didn't get caught doing them. But, you know, going forward, um, it was really my, in between my junior and senior years of university, I was home for the summer, I was working at the hardware store, and we had a, huge, a, a horrible flood. And our hardware store was in this very old building and it had a basement. And in those days, pre-Amazon, pre-all that, everything for the winter season got delivered in, in North American winter season, got delivered in July. So this flood filled our basement full of water and everything was ruined. And my boss put me in charge of the reclamation project. So I had to lead a crew to get everything out of the basement, get it to another building. And then I had to create and have a flood sale. And it really, looking back on it, it I really learned to love the untraditional, the opportunity to do things out differently. And that's really when I think back about it, the first time I was really given that opportunity to take a completely blank slate, something that had never been done before, something that was time sensitive and a little bit chaotic and bring it to fruition. Yeah. So you obviously, <laughs> do you remember being thrown in the deep end, um, you know, excuse the pun with, uh, with what you were, what you were dealing with and cleaning up from, do, do you remember enjoying it finding it really stretching what was that experience like for you yeah i remember finding it really you know because it 
the summer leading like the eight, I remember going the summer leading up to that, things were just very routine. I definitely was getting a little bit bored of the, the just the, you know, eight to six every day, sell the lawnmowers, whatever. And this was just a completely, you know, at that time foreign idea that I, I was going to have to, you know, figure this out. And I had no idea then that that kind of set the stage of learning how to teach. And then after teaching for a time, moving, you know, internationally from a kid that didn't have a passport and then leading, you know, some of the first, first laptop programs and first wireless schools in Europe, and then going on to Jakarta and having to deal with, you know, some major crises there. Um, so I just, and I never really thought about that event until much later, how much that kind of set a stage of, of things I'd like to do and things I'd like to tackle, which mm. happens to be in education because I fell in love with teaching, but I had no way of knowing that at that point in my life. Yeah. So how did, how did you fall in love with teaching? What was, what was that sort of story? So I went to, you know, state university to get, and I, I, I wasn't going to go to college cause I wasn't really liking school very much in like middle school and high school. My sister came home from uni at Thanksgiving and said, you have to go to uni. It's the best time of your life. So I, I decided to go and I went to a teacher's college. And I really didn't intend on teaching. I thought I'd go back and work at the hardware store, maybe get to go work at their corporate offices or something. But I went to the job fairs end of my senior, and I got this job teaching and I, I moved to, and there were really no jobs or teaching at that time where I grew up in Pennsylvania because the population was, was shrinking. So I moved about 10 hours away from my home into a small rural community in rural Virginia on the water. And I walked in the first day and I had 28 kids. I was teaching second grade. I had no idea really. And I fell in love with the fact that you could every day impact these kids lives. And I quickly learned that almost any discipline problem I had in the classroom or anything, any problems were my fault. And that if I did my job better and learned to meet the needs of each of those <laughs> students and learn about each of those students, almost every discipline problem would go away. And I learned the, the power of good pedagogy. And yeah, the, just the incredible power of, you know, at that age, unlocking the ability to read um, and having fun doing it. And so that's when I really discovered um, that this was something I wanted to do forever. That's incredible, Steve. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I have to ask because even though um, there's, uh, you know, it's not just educators listening to this podcast, but I know there are a lot of educators, but for people like me who aren't educators, I'm fascinated by how you, what you learn in the classroom about dealing with human beings. I always find that when teachers talk to me about great pedagogy and, um, and, and you know, really leading kids, there's always great parallels. What have been some of your biggest learnings and the things that you're most passionate about when it comes to classroom teaching and, and pedagogy for beginners like me? <laughs> um, it's really sales, right? It's, you're selling, you have a group of kids in front of you, some that really want to buy what you have and some that don't. And just like good, a good salesperson in anything gets to know their customers and their clients, builds trust in that relationship, and then, in, you know, using the science of learning unpacks that learning for kids. So, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you're selling a hot water heater, selling a house, selling stocks, or selling the idea of reading and math to kids. You have to get to, you're, you're, it's all relationship based. And education, really, the only thing we have are the relationships. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Uh, any like if I guess for you, if you were in a classroom, so you step into a classroom, you don't know anyone. What are the what are the key things for that first day, first month, first term that you're doing as a teacher to build relationship with kids and understand them better? Yeah, so I, I, every summer I teach adults, and it's forty adults from around the world, um, and so I have a week to. You know, and they want to be there, so it's a little different than you know kids that have to go to school. 
but I, you need to begin to build relationships and, and earn their, earn their trust. And kids are amazingly good at smelling a fake. So you also have to bed your, build your credibility. Yeah. And they will know if you care about them and hold them to high standards. And if you care about them and don't hold them to high standards, you spoil them. And if you hold them high standards and don't care about them, you're probably just nothing more than a drill sergeant. So it's really being in that upper quadrant on the two by two of caring versus not caring and high standards versus apathy. So, Hmm. you know, and kids will know, are you requiring them to do work? You know, just like in, I don't believe in having any meeting where people don't leave there with something to do. And kids should every day be able to point back and think, well, I was expected to do this. And then yeah. we have a, you know, when I teach adults in the summer, we never talk for nine to 10 minutes, more than nine or 10 minutes before we make the students who are adults in our classroom apply what they are, unpack and construct what we've just talked about. So kids can, you know, it's easy to sit there and just listen. So as soon you know, and kids will grow in a little bit at the beginning if you make them do things every 10 minutes. But as soon as they know that becomes the norm and they can see the why you're doing that, that their learning is actually easier when they're unpacking it with you in the classroom, that immediately, that will begin to gain their trust and their respect. Wow, that's really interesting. So how do you do that to say with your adult um, learners, how, like, just unpack me what that actually looks like to give them something practically to apply every, every 10 minutes. You know, can you just sort of practically break it down or maybe give an example? Sure. So let's say, you know, the first phase of the course we teach is about you need to know yourself as a leader before you can lead others. And then you need to know your, your people you're leading before you can gain their trust and lead them. So, you know, as we lay out the, the research behind that in the first 10 minutes, then we have them take a very simple, um, you know, very simplistic tool. It's called the LBA2 assessment where they learn something about their learning styles or about their leadership styles. And then you bring out some more of the science and then you have them take a more complex tool. Then let's say, you know, in the third hour, it's about, okay, you've looked at yourself, you've taken these tools. Now let's introduce you to how you're gonna need to switch leadership styles depending on the situation you're in. And then you can have them stop and say, okay, what are some situations I was in and what leadership styles did my bosses use? And then you can have them analyze if they think those were the right leadership styles based on the science of which styles match up for which situations. Does that make sense? That was a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. Um, that's that's uh, just brilliant. I'm loving it. I mean, to be honest, I'm just thinking about my own facilitations and how I can apply uh, some of this for myself. So, <laughs> which <laughs> I always say, I'm listener number one. You know, I I feel like I learn more in this podcast than anything else I do. Um, this is so good. I know that <laughs> it's a bit of a tangent from talking your leadership journey, which we'll get back to. But can you give us another example of of this, just for people like me who are taking notes, sort of furiously, and and just um, just to help help me understand it, just. Uh, yeah, just from another angle, can you give me another example of, of another sort of context and how you do it? Sure. Do you want it with adults or with with uh, kids? Yeah, maybe this one with kids. Um, so, you know, I mean, kids are almost easier because the things they're learning are often less complex. So you don't feel like you need to lecture as long. Sometimes adults feel they need to lecture to other adults and the adults can just unpack it, but that's not true. So let's, I mean, let's say you're just teaching math, right? To second graders. And, and it's, yeah. it's, you would never lecture for 10 minutes to second graders. But I think the key is when you have them unpack and make it, make the abstract concrete, make it things they're interested in. So, you know, a really good example is in more complex, higher level math, in high school math, you know, you can take a, difficult concepts that are traditionally were abstract and using, um, you know, scientific, using probeware, you can have them map, you can have them use their body to walk towards things and make sine waves. They can begin to see sine waves come out from human motion. 
So you're immediately getting it to a concrete from the abstract. I think it's really important for kids, once you've done your direct hook and, and explain to them, you know, this is the mathematical concept, this is why, this is someplace that exists in the real world, now mm. actually get them to get up and act out something that causes that mathematical equation to appear on a screen for them using probes. And one of the greatest, you know, technology is often oversold, but in terms of high school mathematics, we've seen the ability to make concepts that were simpler, always abstract, real by mm. using probes and, and uh, sensors and things. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much for going on that tangent. I know <laughs> all of us listening who have any sort of facilitation or um, and, you know, we'll have learned something from that. So thank you so much. That's uh, That was really valuable. So talking back to your leadership journey, Steve, uh, I always love asking leaders about aha moments, uh, turning points, those, those, those big aha moments where something happens or, or a really significant leadership lesson, sort of the penny drops for you as a leader. And I, I can always think of those for myself. Are there any of those moments that come to mind from the, you know, you've obviously worked in a lot of different places and a lot of different roles, but any moments that are really that sort of aha moment that you can share? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest aha moments was when I, when, I, when I was going to Jakarta and I was going into the Jakarta International School as the number two for for a friend of mine or a colleague of mine who was going to be head, who was head of school, very large school, you know, in, in, in Jakarta is a big complex city. The school was over 2,600 kids, you know, 80 nationalities in, you know, in one of the most interesting cultures in the world. And we started very, and, and, and I started this work in Munich around making sure you really know, you knew that everyone in the school knew why we were doing what we were doing in terms of the mission and then laying out strategic roadmaps from that. But really it was in Jakarta when we redefined and clarified the school's mission and values. Um, the year before I arrived, I flew over for a couple times and helped the head of school run some, some clarifying sessions. And then during the next 24 months when we, we were able to get an entire campus of, you know, 2,500 kids and 1200 employees and a community of, of 5,000 parents really on the same page. And it really clarified for me just the power of those core documents. And if you, and just the, the, the leadership team's responsibility of using core documents and repeating them and repeating them and always going back to them in everything we do. That's so good. And I can't tell you how often I see um, leaders struggling with this. Either they don't have the core documents really at all or they have them but they're not living and breathing they they're just sitting in a filing system somewhere what have you learned about how to articulate those core documents in a really great way and then how to make sure they're living breathing and actually like you said you look around and go wow i think our whole community gets it well i think you know it, it really goes back to how they're created, I think. Um, and I'm a big believer in, in not using a wide, a wide scope of who gets to have some say in creating them, but doing it in a short time frame. Um, those project, those processes can fit, you know, have can fall over over the weight of themselves. But if you don't have enough, so you can do it in a, a weekend, you can do it in a couple of days, you can do it over the span of three months, you, know, you can get input, but then you need to take that input and take it to a small group of people, simplify the language, clarify the language, and then create a very intentional rollout plan. So I think you want multiple voices in the ideation, and then you want wordsmithing done by a small group, and then you want to roll it out powerfully and be able to honestly say many people, you know, this lots of stakeholders were involved in this process. And the last two times we've done this, the processes have been fun and people that were in the process became spokespeople throughout the community for these documents. And then you, know, after a year or two, it becomes 
the living legend that, oh, the whole community was involved in this. Well, it wasn't the whole community. The whole community mm. talked about it. Wow, that's so good. Oh, I love the way you think, Steve. That's a different uh that's a different take on it i'm i'm really enjoying um because this is these are some of the topics i'm most passionate about so walk us through how you did that i know for leaders listening like me they're thinking okay but yeah yeah, how did you like who was in the room i know you can't tell us um everything otherwise we'd be here way longer but can you just give us some of the um, I guess the story of which stakeholders you had in the room, how did you roll that out powerfully? I'd love some, some more info. Yep. Sure. And I'll take the, the latest example, which is the school I arrived at here in Philly. Um, I yep. arrived on the, uh, about five years after the school had gone through a merger of an all boys school and an all girls school who had been neighbors for 150 years and had talked about merging for 40 and then finally did it. Um, you know, and during the interview process, they talked a lot about the pain that had occurred during that. And I was the perfect candidate because I didn't come from either camp. I didn't even come from the same city. Like I knew nothing about this. So I arrived and nowhere on campus did I see a mission statement. And then I found it inside a cupboard in my office. And it had every buzz educational buzzword of the 2010s. You know, like we are going to be innovative we are going to be creating the future, uh, what do you call it, um, lifelong learners. And they're going to be from a multicultural community, you know, all that. Yeah. But nobody was talking about that in the school. So this was September. And so, you know, I had, we had structures of a parent association, alumni groups, board, faculty and staff. And I started very simply, you know, with every one of those groups. I actually had done this even before I arrived when I visited during my, you know, the, orient, the recruiting the year I was hired. I just had all of them say three, you know, on index cards, what are three things the school does really, really well? Or actually, what was, I asked them to do one thing. What is one thing the school does? What is one thing you love about the school? And mm-hmm. where's the time that you remember the school doing it very well? So I asked that same set of questions to the parent association, to the alumni groups, to the faculty. I took all that data to the board and I said, listen, there's a mission statement that it says nothing aligned with what everybody in the school says we're good at. So I said, I need permission to clarify the mission statement. And they said, you have it. So we scheduled a clarity summit for, um, so this was October board meeting. So I scheduled a clarity summit for February and we invited 120, we ended up with about 120 people in the audience for the weekend. Um, current students, board members, faculty, staff, alumni, former, you know, take all the stakeholder groups. And I worked with a consultant and we designed basically an eight hour day where we did six or seven different activities through the day, you know, generative exercises. Um, one of the best is we did this values, a values clarification knockout round. And so we had all 120 people in our chapel and each of them had a note card they wrote down five words that they thought should be the school's values and then after 10 minutes so that's 120 people in 10 minutes you then said okay everyone gets a partner each partner each so each set of two had to take their 10 words and narrow it to five so then those 60 uh, pairs got broken into 30 quads so each, you know, one set of two people with another pair, they each had a yep. set of five and they had to narrow it down their combined list of 10 to five values. And then we ended with, you know, a group of 60 and a group of 60, each with their five, and they had to narrow that down to five. So we had an hour and a half to come up with what we thought would be the five school values. Um, and when we had did different exercises like that throughout the day, and then all of those inputs went back to a very small team, four or five of us to take and pull out the mission and the values from that. And then luckily we had a parent who was the ghost, the speech writer, the, you know, the ghost writer for the um, University of Pennsylvania, which is one of the eight Ivies for their president. And after when we had our rough draft, she then put the polish on it. <laughs> That's um, awesome. And then when we, I love we, that. we were, I know, in May, we were debating how we were gonna roll out this refined mission and va- clarified mission and values the start yeah. of the following school year 
and, and the debate and the debate and you're gonna love this the debate was well should it be a, you know a a formally parchment paper letter that goes to everyone or should it be an email and one of the parents who was a younger parent and, and very involved in the in the IT sector said well why would you do either of those let's do a Facebook live event and we had another parent <laughs> who was a the, the, the news anchor for one of our TV channels so yeah. we basically did a Facebook live event where she interviewed me about the uh, like you're doing how they were created where they came <laughs> from and what is it and we, so we rolled them out via Facebook live you know which is much more engaging than you know either a letter to your mailbox on parchment paper mm. or god forbid an email attack um <laughs> and then that and and parallel during that springtime when we had the values and mission in draft form the leadership team was able to come up with their strategic um priorities which we called a roadmap for the next two years so we were able to roll out you know on the first week of my second year we were able to roll out the mission the values and the 2017 to 2019 roadmap of the school's priorities and how we were gonna, what they were gonna, what those priorities looked like at that time and what they would look like in two years and what our matrix would be along the way. Wow, thank you for unpacking that. That's so, that's so helpful. I, uh, I know that lots of leaders listening will be uh, making notes. I was, I just love the, engaging and fun way that you did the values knockout round and i think i think um we all can be way too like uh, i don't know my, my experience is we often take those things too seriously it's like if you can engage people around it and and one of the biggest things for me around values which is why i really enjoy your process steve is I find so often values that people come up with or even the mission and vision, it's not true. It's just, it's it's wishful thinking or it's like, uh, you're like, who are you describing here? Because this is, this is an amazing organization, but I don't see that here. And uh, that's why I really love your process. Because if you can, if you can make them true, it's like at its simplest, if you can articulate something that's true and then... Uh, really embed that in the culture that's for me it doesn't get much more complicated than that and you just explained a fantastic process to do that i couldn't agree more john i think simplicity you know some complexity kills right and, and einstein said something like make it as simple as you possibly can but not simpler um <laughs> and clarity and the bigger the organization, the more clarity, the more important clarity is. Yeah. Um, and that's so much of our jobs, I think, as leaders is bringing that clarity to everyone so they can get on with engaging kids. I think sometimes as well, the simpler, uh, like it's, it's actually my probably my all-time favorite quote around, say, building leadership teams and building building healthy, you know, culture and organizations is a Patrick Lencioni quote, which he, he's talking about teams, but he says, you know what, building a healthy team is both uh, remarkably simple and possible, but painfully difficult. And I find that it's, there's so much where you have to stick to your guns and really be really, really choose carefully and and once you make decisions and like you said reminding again and again and again but so much of it is simple but the hard work is is really less about doing something amazingly complicated and more about really articulating and then having the courage to keep on track with something that's quite simple yeah i couldn't agree more um you know you you said to me at the beginning, I think before we were on air or on recording, whatever, that I'd have to share a book at the end. And clearly we must be reading some of the same people, um, <laughs> you know, in Jakarta and in Philadelphia and in you know, the leadership team in Dubai will soon be getting their copy of the advantage as we prepare to, uh, to become a, a leadership team together. Um, and I think Patrick's yeah. work is, is, is essential. And, you know, there, it's not brand new, but every and every time I think there's a new book that's going to make it, you know, push that one off my 
you know, my top top of my list for my teams, it, it doesn't happen. So um, I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, I, what I love about the advantage, I keep sort of, um, the advantage is really my skeleton for, uh, you know, building a healthy organization or even running, like if you want to run a great offsite with your team, for, for any leaders out there, just read the advantage. And it doesn't matter that you do exactly what he says, but I just find the framework and the perspective, it's, it, it makes it really clear to, um, so just as an example, because that's probably, yeah, that's one of my favorite books ever. I'm so excited to hear and to have the chance to talk about it. I love Patrick Lencioni. But um, for me, I've used the whole book. I've rolled everything out with different organizations. Um, but I always say to leaders, if I come in, you know, if someone, if someone paid to have me go across the other side of the world and just do one hour with their team, I would do question five of the six questions of clarity. If I would, if I didn't know any sort of other details and I was just coming into the room trying to add value. And that question, which sits in those six questions of clarity and the advantage is what's most important right now. And what I love about the advantage is it gives you this really clear framework. But like I said, I don't, if I went and just had an hour with the team, I wouldn't start with question one, which is all about, you know, why do we exist? Um, I would actually just start at question five. And that's what I love about that book. If you read it, you'll be able to see, um, you know, and, and Lencioni even says in the book, well, if I was, you know, the one thing that that's most helpful for a team is to answer this question. If you want, if you want to see results tomorrow, if you want to see change now, the first thing any team needs to do is really get aligned about what we're doing right now. Even though ultimately what you want to do is get really clear on why and on the values. But I love, um, I love that book. I love that question. I love the different meeting structures. Um, it's just it's just a great playbook for uh, for leading teams and leading organizations. I, I couldn't agree more. And I I think especially in schools. And I was listening to, to one of his podcasts this week, thinking about you know Dubai. And I think going back to our earlier point, I, sometimes we want to get the mission and values perfect. And we, we spend almost too much time and they get to be overblown in too many words and wouldn't really, yeah. I mean, the mission of the school is to educate the kids, you know, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like we're deciding how to convince people we're selling them cheese or something. And <laughs> really, especially now, like what is important right now? And, you know, the mental health of our students after the last two years is one of the most important things we're dealing with. So what are we, what adjustments are we making to our org chart next year in knowing that? And what adjustments are we making to our staffing model knowing that? And what adjustments are we making to our COVID policies knowing that we've had more kids in the hospital for mental health reasons than we have for COVID reasons? So what are we going to do about that? Yeah, I, and the reason I love um, Hearing, hearing you talk about this is this is why it's so important for teams and say using that same example of schools I think it can be very easy to come in as the um, you know the 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 head of junior school and you've got you've got some big accreditation coming up or you've got um, you've got some you know three staff that you've got for you they're really there's some intense challenges around that and so you walk into the room with the leadership team and it's easy to just naturally without even articulating it, assume that those sort of things are most important. And when you just ask this question with a team, like with what you're describing right now, the it's not so much what is most important, it's actually often about what people let go of that isn't most important. It's about that head of primary who's sitting in the room going, ah, okay, so yeah, the, I've got this accreditation, I'm, I'm going to have to do that. I've got these staff that it's a bit challenging for me, I'm going to have to work that out. But this is a good reminder that what's most important right now is actually the mental health of our kids. How can I contribute to that? How can I be part of this team? Um, even if some of those mental health challenges are in the high school, or maybe some of them you realize in that meeting is actually in your context. I think when you ask that question, the reason it's so powerful isn't just because of what is most important, but because of the people in the room realizing the things in their world maybe aren't most important. And in my experience, that that those two like subtle changes where everyone articulates what is and in that moment sort of lets go of what isn't is dynamic. 
and I, I think, you know, building off of that is coming up with language in the organization to put things that aren't that aren't going to be considered that important right now. And so here we use the term parking lot and we use it for both things that are or aren't important, but also for good ideas. Because in education, you know, especially schools with, you know, I've been fortunate to work in schools with a tremendous amount of funding. There are always great ideas, but there's only so much capacity, right? We go down, what, what's the one variable that, you know, there's the, is it, you know, time is the only thing we can't get more of. And so when we think about change, really the resource that we consider most is the time of the people we work with. So if we don't select very carefully the initiatives that we want to focus on, then we're wasting or watering down the, mo the finite resource of time. And so having a parking lot for things that aren't important, but also a parking lot for good ideas, but not in the next two years, maybe later. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the parking lot uh, as well. I, I use that a lot. Um, fantastic. This is this is so much fun. Uh, but I, I do want to just move on to ask you some more of those Leadership Express questions so that we can, because uh, I, I just love finding these out. What? So you've mentioned the advantage. Any other books that you've gifted to other people? Sure. I gifted um, Carol Dweck's uh, Mindset to a lot of parents. Um, mm -hmm. And I think not. Um, there's a great book that I read last year that I've gifted to a number of people about John Thompson, the coach of Georgetown, um, who really, you know, understanding racism in America, race in America, power of race in America and around the world. John Thompson's book, I think First Came My Shadow, is just a phenomenal read um, that I've gifted to a number of people in the last year. Um, yeah. And then recently there's a book called Leading in a Culture of Dignity, which really mm. um, highlights all the mistakes that have been made in America by two, this is written by two college researchers, and all the mistakes made in America as schools try to become more diverse and equitable. And it really mm -hmm. goes through a process of what you're really trying to do is build a culture of belonging. Yeah. You know, having a diverse culture isn't an outcome. And so belonging is the outcome and how do you do that? Oh, I love that. They're, they're wonderful recommendations. Thank you. Uh, what about um, any favorite questions that you ask? You know, you're, you're with, you're doing that course, uh, you know, later this year with adult learners, you're in a classroom with kids, you're with your leadership team, you're with a group of parents. Any favorite questions that you like to ask people? Yeah, I think um, I've interviewed enough people, I've hired enough people around the world. It seems like they know my four questions now. I mean, they're really very simple. Um, tell me your story why you know and, and that takes you know a good amount of time as we go back to the beginning where they were born all that why whichever school i'm leading at that time why is this a match for you and then who's someone that knows you really well and if they were here and we kicked you out of the room what would they say are your strengths and what would they say are your opportunities love it Great, uh, great question. What is a commonly held belief in education that you passionately disagree with? Um, kids are kids are lazy. Only kids aren't lazy. Hmm. Um, And I think Sorry, you, other, yeah, you go. No, I, I think, you know, the idea that students are lazy and I, that's probably, it's funny because the myth, the, they, they, different cultures and different schools have different things they believe. And in every, in every school we find things that, that I definitely don't. I think one of the interesting ones when I arrived here, was there was a longtime teacher here that was really, um, really instilled uh, a belief that if you're, if you're 
on time, you're late. If you're if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't come in the room. And I just think that's such a bad way to look at the world because you don't know why someone's late. Maybe they stopped to help someone who had fallen down the stairs or help someone change a tire. So I just think, you know, any anything that's universal is usually a pretty bad idea. <laughs> love it. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about kids not being lazy as well. That's why I love asking that question. That's uh, um yeah, yeah, great perspective. What's a great piece of advice you've received? Um, you know, the old quintessential, we are given two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's, that's great advice. You know, my grandmother used to always, my grandmother would give me a dollar for my birthday or whatever and tell me not to spend it all in one place. Um, that's good advice. You know, <laughs> so I, I think. That's good. <laughs> I, I think just the advice of, of really... I don't, you know, I don't know who the person that said it to me or I think probably my, my father-in-law who, who grew up is my, my wife's Italian. My father-in-law grew up, grew up in Milan during world mm. war two and, you know, saw wow. the, saw the horrors of that. And, and, um, then he, his appreciation for every culture and his appreciation of seeing the beauty of the art of every culture. And, mm. I think just, you know, I, I think another piece, I'll never forget, I was in Munich and um, the president of of, Alc, of um, Siemens at the time came in. He was a parent and he spoke to our students. And I'll never forget, I, I was young, a youngest, you know, moving up the ladder to, at that point in my career. And I saw him at the end of his talk stop in the sound booth and thank the technicians. Um, you know, this is the president of Siemens right in Germany, and he, he 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 took out. You know, he changed his exit path from the auditorium to go to the sound booth and thank the guys there. That was a yeah. pretty, pretty great lesson. That's wonderful. Yeah, I love that. Great, great story. What's a big struggle that you're seeing leaders in education face today? I, I think the demands and, and you know, the, I mean, social media, the impact of uh, the impact of kids being connected to each other 24 seven, um, is just huge. You know, it used to be, if you didn't get invited to a party on Friday night, you didn't know till Monday and by Monday you didn't care if you went to the party or not. And these kids lives are just so hyperly connected in comparison and, you know, the algorithms behind those, those, you know, for-profit companies and what they're doing to manipulate the clicks. That's it. It takes up a tremendous amount of time just unpacking mm. that with kids and helping kids make good choices, helping parents make good choices. You know, some, there's just, is not yeah. much things don't get the time they need to, to get processed. Yeah, true. Uh, well said. What's a movie or TV show that really impacted you? Could be something really serious that you learned leadership lessons from or something that you just uh, is a favorite for switching off, which is also important for leaders. So last night we were we were packing up one of the, my, my, both my kids are out at uni now, but they still spent, they've spent time in this house. We were packing up the room of my youngest son who's living in New York you know, before we get ready to move and on his shelf in his closet was the, the DVD set of mash, which is a quintessential American <laughs> comedy. Yeah. From my, you know. and when I think back, anytime you watch an episode of mash, it brings up so, I mean, every contemporary issue, except probably social media is covered in mash episodes. Um, mm. and no movie made or TV show made 40 or 50 years ago is going to be perfect. You know, it's not going to deal with every, but 
it dealt with so many important issues. Um, and so MASH, you know, I loved watching it with my mom and dad and our kids loved watching it with us when we were, I think in Munich, watching it on DVDs, you know, and so, and then I hadn't thought about it in a long time. And then we, you know, there's no reason to keep a box out of DVDs anymore, but we kept this box out of MASH more for the symbolism yeah. than anything else. Yeah, oh, I love that. That's so good. Uh, okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Yeah, I've been asked this, you know, and, and people will say, well, what, did, what, what would you like to have told Steve Dragon 10 years ago or whatever? I think it, it does go back to that earlier conversation we had around get your, the core documents have to be in order. And every strategic plan you write needs to have a direct line to some segment of the core documents. Um, you know, and that's our job as leaders. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good, Steve. Um, and it is, it's just about so other, much of leadership. Yeah, so go for it. And I, the other one is get out of your office, especially in times of <laughs> incidents, incidents or crises. So, you know, when something bad happens in your school, be it a social media, whatever the issue is, if they see you out in the halls, everyone will relax more. If they think you're only hauled mm. up in your office the whole time. So the day after something bad happens, be there in the car park at greeting time. You should be there every day anyways, mm. but yeah. really be visible in times of challenges. Amazing. Just two great pieces of advice. Uh, well, for those who've really enjoyed today and would like to connect with you, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, is there anywhere people can find you online, Steve? Sure. There is only one S Druggen in the world. Um, so it's really simple. S Druggen in Twitter, S Druggen at Gmail. Um, there, I don't believe there's any other S Druggens. So that's why I keep it. It's a very simple, uh, uh, what do you call it tag or whatever it is hey, I don't know what they call yeah. it, your username <laughs> i guess s-druggen yeah, fantastic s-druggen and they can find you um well i want to thank our listeners for tuning in this has just been uh yeah one of my one of my favorite episodes just chatting about the advantage and uh and hearing steve's story um don't forget for our listeners you can also check out the john o white leadership podcast and Leadership Question of the Day podcast, two different places to also invest more in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Steve, for being so generous, uh, for sharing uh, such wonderful stories and um, and just great leadership principles, uh, like what you learned in Munich, having the, the CEO of that company change the exit. That Just those little things are such wonderful lessons that we've been able to learn secondhand uh, hearing from you share from your life today so thank you so much for coming on the podcast I have one question for you John yeah can I ask you a question how did yeah, you, you find can, yeah. me where did you find me like how I'm in Philadelphia you're in Australia we've never worked together you didn't work in international schools so yeah that's a that's a good question well I uh, and this is this is actually a good um, a good anecdote for for uh, for people um, listening as well. But the um, the the funniest, well, really, the reason I started the podcast is for people. I I I think you know, there's either the New York Times bestsellers list, which is a very small group. Or someone happens to turn up to your course, you know, they're an educator, or they see you at a conference, which is a small group of people. And so the reason I do this podcast is I, I love the idea of someone like you, Steve, who's who's got such incredible stories, being able to reach and, and share your story with people who otherwise would never hear it. So I go actively looking for a mixture of leaders who are leading really large organizations, but I and and I'm just I love education. So I really love having heads of schools. You can probably see if you look at the list of people I've had on. So I just uh, went looking for educators. I think uh, one of the ways was through LinkedIn and that's I'm always really looking at uh, different people. So I can't remember specifically how I how I found you, but I know that um, the sort of the path that led me there was looking for heads of schools um, who were doing really interesting things and uh, and wanted to to get you to share your story 
uh, with people who'd otherwise never hear it. Got it. All right. Well, I really enjoyed this. I hope all's well in Australia. And uh, thanks for having me on. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John White or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. 
Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.